Well, let's get to it. Why don't you turn with me to Lamentations chapter three. Something about Wednesday nights when the sun's just going down, it makes me feel like summer's on the way. Isn't that great? It's kind of hope uh, as we finish Lamentations. <laughs> we see the light. <laughs> it's good. Well, we've been learning from Lamentations. It's, uh, it's quite a book. Uh, we, we saw the, um, you know, chapters one and two, uh, 22 verses, uh, 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, uh, acrostic in nature, and chapter three. We're in the middle of that, but there's 66 verses, which remember we talked about the acrostic, you know, uh, in the Hebrew, A, 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 B, 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 C, 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 all the way down. That's why there's 66 verses there. Chapter four is acrostic. But one thing I, I think I misspoke last week, I said five is also, but it's actually not. There's 22 verses, but uh, it's not. Now, there's a reason I, I wonder uh, that we might you know, speculate, why did Jeremiah not make the last chapter uh, one of those alphabet verses? Uh, but you also have the exact same number of verses, which remember the verses were added later. So what's the deal with that? We'll, we'll talk about that uh, maybe as we get to it tonight. But on Sunday, we looked at the first half, I should say, of chapter three. Um, the, you know, the, the, um, the, the moaning and groaning of Jeremiah's reaction, which you can't blame him, uh, you know, to God's wrath, you know. Um, remember, we've been sort of titling each one of these poems. Each chapter is a poem uh, of dirge, as it's called there in, in the uh, Septuagint. And, you know, we looked at chapter one last week um, and we saw that that's, you know, basically Jerusalem's desolation, chapter one. And then in chapter two, we saw God's punishment for Jerusalem's sin. That's chapter two, uh, kind of a heavy chapter. Chapter three is Jeremiah's reaction to God's wrath. That's what this whole chapter is about. And we started on that last Sunday, uh, last Saturday, and we, uh, we kind of saw the beginnings of it. And you could break this chapter, chapter three, into three segments uh, that kind of identify what Jeremiah's reaction really is about. The first uh, deal is um, Jeremiah's affliction. And that's verses one through 20. Remember when we read that on Sunday, how um, you can just see the heaviness and Jeremiah is starting to take it personally. He's not just talking for Israel. He's talking about himself personally, about the affliction. Look at some of the words he used here. You know, verse one, affliction. Verse two, darkness. Um, verse four, old and broken. <laughs> Verse five, travail. Um, verse six, dark places, dead. Verse seven, hedged and heavy. Verse eight, cry, shutting out of my prayer. Verse nine, enclosed and crooked. Uh, verse 11, desolate. Verse 14, derision, which means, you know, laughing stock. Uh, verse 15, bitterness. And verse 16, brokenness. Uh, verse 19, affliction and my misery. Uh, verse 20, humbled. <laughs> these, are, these are words of a, of a depressed dude. And we saw that on Sunday. And, and then the, the beautiful shifting of gears uh, in verses 21 and 22 and 23, that's what we looked at on Sunday. How did he uh, pull up out of that first third of this chapter? Uh, you know, this section about Jeremiah's affliction. Um, well, we saw that he changed gears. And we're gonna call verses 21 all the way through 40, the second section of this uh, chapter, we're gonna call it, you know, Jeremiah's ref reflection. So the first half is affliction, verses one through 20, and then 21 through 40, Jeremiah's reflection. And, and we already started this discussion, right? Uh, we saw, you know, dealing with depression uh, last weekend. If you missed that teaching, uh, I think it's an important one, you know, to, to see how Jeremiah deals with depression. And I think it's something we can really learn from uh, as it relates to depression. So Jeremiah's depressed. He starts out with his affliction and now he goes to reflection and he reflects, verse 21, as we read on Sunday, this I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Man, just beautiful, beautiful scriptures. Uh, and Jeremiah, this is the way he thought through this and recalled his recollection. Uh, that, that's, what, that's what got him up out of this misery. Uh, and so as he begins to reflect on the Lord and how to get out of the misery, he starts that in those, those verses. 
But he, he continues this reflection and, um, and he talks more in verse 24. He says there, the Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. Notice Jeremiah does not say the Lord gives me my portion, um, but he says the Lord is my portion. This is a, a great secret of the Christian faith. Um, and it's a hard one to really get our brain around until Jesus is all you have. It's that old saying Corey Ten Boom said, you know, Jesus, you'll never really know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And she's the one who could say that as she was living in Auschwitz there and, and, and you know, the Holocaust um, there stuck. Her sister died there in the concentration camps and, and in the snow working, you know, skinny, skin and bones. Like it was about as ugly and bad as a life could get. But she's the one who said, you'll never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And, and this is where Jeremiah just might be. I mean, he could give, you know, Corey Ten Boone a run for the money on, on affliction as he's been through all kinds of horrible stuff, uh, dungeons and beatings, uh, you know, chains and, and being dragged off by enemies and um, just all kinds of horrible stuff, seeing people killed all around him. And, uh, and yet he, he says, the Lord is my portion. And that's something we need to remember, especially in the days when, you know, we kind of wonder about what's going on in the world and are we losing our freedoms? Are we losing this, losing that? Well, I wonder if the more we lose, the more we'll put our trust in the Lord. I know Christians that have been praying for persecution for the church in America, and I, I'm not sure I'm praying that yet. Uh, I don't enjoy the idea. But I do understand that the persecuted church has always been a healthy church. When you watch that historically, when the church is persecuted, you find that people realize, wow, Jesus is, is important and Jesus is real. Um, and this is where Jeremiah gets, this is where you find people all the time when they're in total affliction and suffering, they all say this, that man, the Lord is my portion. And because of that, I will put my hope. Um, don't let our stuff that, that is our security, uh, whether it's your possessions or your insurance policies uh, or you know, your financial for portfolio or you know, all your friends or whatever you put your trust in or rest in, um, don't forget, those things, they can all come and go. They have for many so throughout the ages. But the Lord is the same, and he's the one who's our portion. And he's all we really need. We just don't know that a lot of the time. But Jeremiah reaches that point in his life. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Verse 25, the Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke of his youth. Interesting sort of thing where Jeremiah actually gives us a little bit of wisdom here, you know, in the middle of this sorrow of his affliction and reflection on what happened to his life. But he, he starts saying some stuff that I think is very educational and very important for you and I to, you know, lay hold on. And it's this idea of quietly waiting on the Lord. Uh, first of all, do we know how to wait upon the Lord? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. Wait upon the Lord. You know, um, the, the Bible teaches us over and over to wait upon the Lord, but some of us might even have that down. But the question is, are you waiting quietly? I wonder if the Lord is just up in heaven going, shh. But Lord, but shh. But I really, shh. Like, you know, we're, we're so quick to cry. Oh Lord, we want meat, we want meat. Remember the J Jews out there in the, in the wilderness? They were so hungry and they were, they were like, we're sick of this loathsome bread, you know, this manna. We want meat. And, and, then, and then when they didn't have a king, we want a king, we want a king. And the Lord's just like, I wonder if the Lord would say that to us, you know, all, all of our crying and chirping like a bird. Remember, um, Hezekiah, who was given that letter and, he was, you know, and, and you know, he prayed to the Lord. And then he also heard from Isaiah. Like one thing about Hezekiah is he learned that he was gonna die. And he chirped like a bird, Lord, I don't wanna die. And, he, and that's what the Bible says, he chirped like a bird. That's a funny phrase for old Hezekiah. And the Lord said, okay, I'm gonna let you live for 15 more years. Uh, but those were the most 15 uh, miserable years of his life. He should have just kicked the bucket when the Lord said he was gonna kick the bucket. Um, the Lord knows when that should happen. 
you know, it's funny how we have this perspective on things. You know, we have this very limited view and the Lord sees all and he knows what's good. And, and yet here we are, but Lord, you know, and I wonder if some of us just need to be still and know that he is God. And, and, and this, this phrase here, you might wanna mark it in your Bible. It's, it's a hard one for us to, you know, apply to our lives, but this idea of hoping and quietly waiting for the salvation of the Lord. Um, I love this. It's so good about seeking the Lord. Um, one of the bummers about truth is sometimes because of the quantity that we hear truth, the more we hear it, somehow the less we believe it. So in the Christian church today, somebody will come and say, here's what you need to do. Oh, I know what you're gonna say. Seek the Lord, read your Bible, pray every day. <laughs> read your Bible, pray, seek the Lord. The reason we say that over and over is because it's the truest thing your little fast lips ever uttered. <laughs> seek the Lord, it says here. And he says, you know, the Lord is good to them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. Yeah, 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 seek the Lord. I've tried that for 10 minutes. I was seeking the Lord. Be still, be quiet. Like, it's so hard for us. You know, we're, we're the antsy little kid. I just can't wait. You know, we just talk, 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 talk. Quiet, still. Quiet and confidence. That's what we should have. This is, I know this is Christianity 101, but man, this is the one I think we've, we, I fear we, we just blow it off. Seek the Lord, pray every day, read your Bible. And they're just such solid truths and they're so true and they're so right. And yet people just go, yeah, 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 whatever. Um, may we never be at that place. Jeremiah, uh, you know, he's in a real dire situation and he's saying the same thing. <clears throat> Seek the Lord with quietness and wait on the Lord for the salvation. <clears throat> and then even verse 27 is such a meaty concept. He says, it is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. You know, you can, sometimes you kind of got to do your time. The Lord has you go through things as you're growing and learning and and uh, sometimes we want stuff here and now. Uh, you know, this is something that our modern age uh, young people, I think we have to be careful about uh, because, because we've been able to do this in some ways, we've been able to get what we want, live out our dreams very early. Um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a big difference between like a, a kid, you know, that lives here in Portland on Instagram, wanting to live out their dreams and become an influencer uh, versus the kid that I met, like say in you know, Burkina Faso, Af Africa, in Ouagadougou, the city where there's no internet connection and there's no technology and there's no food and there's no houses. And there's no, like, I, I've met kids that don't have that same you know, thing. And, and so what happens is because of our culture and because of our you know, wealth and what have you, we kind of get what we want early. And, and I, I wonder, you know, sometimes all these young people who are so quickly into the being an influencer or, you know, having, you know, their, their thing that they want so quickly. And, and in some ways I'm happy about that, but in other ways I've, I've realized there's not a seasoning sometimes. There's not a, a weightiness or a heft to the influencer themselves. They haven't, they haven't waited on the Lord. They just kind of said, we're gonna make this happen. And they can, because they have resources. Uh, but, but sometimes we need to remind young and old, really, that there's a, there's a, it's good for a man that he, bear, that he bear the yoke of his youth. You gotta sometimes do your time. You know, I see this in ministry as well. Brett, I wanna lead a glorious Bible study uh, and, and, and do, you know what you do, Bible prophecy. You know, the, the thing is this, is, this is great to do what I do and I love, I love that I get to do this, but just, just to say this so you know, I spent years, decades teaching in Sunday school classes of little three and four-year-olds. Uh, long before I was teaching Wednesday night Bible studies and prophecy updates and stuff like that. And there was something about that that was really good. You know, I've learned, by the way, if you can teach kids, you can teach anybody. <laughs> I mean, you know, you guys are all polite. You sit here on a Wednesday night, oh yeah, nice, very interesting, <laughs> very interesting, good stuff. You're very nice. Uh, if you're teaching kids, you're boring. <laughs> I don't like you. We wanna go. Like kids are really good lesson learners. If, you're, if you wanna learn how to teach the Bible, start teaching three, four-year-old kids. They're great. Uh, it's a great learning ground for instruction and teaching. But sometimes you gotta do the time. Uh, and that's kind of the bearing the yoke of the youth. I think that's what Jeremiah is talking about here. Verse 28, he sitteth alone and keepeth silence because he hath borne it upon him. He putteth his mouth in the dust if so be there may be hope. 
He giveth his cheek to him that smiteth him. He is filled with, uh, full of reproach. This is speaking of humility and submission. Um, that's what Jeremiah is referring to in this kind of strange language of the King James. But you know, even in the newer translations, it's a little hard when we're talking about face in the, in the dust or whatever. What's that talking about? It's talking about humility and submission. And, and I'm reminded there of, um, of Jesus himself who um, was God in the flesh. Uh, he became dust, if you would. We're made of dust. And Jesus you know, put his face in the dust in that way. And even verse um, you know, 30 says, he giveth his cheek to him that smiteth him. It really reminds me of Isaiah 50, verse six. Do you remember that? Where it says this, I gave my back to the smiters, my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from the shame and the spitting. And I set my face like flint. Like this is what Jesus would do for us, prophetically spoken of in Isaiah 50. And so I see this submission that, you know, Jeremiah is referring to in Lamentations, and it's very much Christ-like submission. You're faced in the dirt, if you would. That's kind of the idea that it's being talked about here. Verse 31, for the Lord will not cast off forever. Thank the Lord for that. But though he cause grief, yet he will have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies, for he, do, he doth not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. He, um, you know, it's like the Lord is, is like this loving father and you parents know how this is. You don't enjoy, you know, disciplining your children. It's not like, yes, I get to spank junior again. <laughs> you don't, hopefully you don't feel that way. Um, that's, that's abusive. But like the Lord, he doesn't glory or t- take joy in, you know, um, dealing with us. And Jeremiah is kind of talking about this. The Lord's not gonna cast off forever and, and he'll have compassion on the multitudes. That's what the Lord does. His mercies, you know, are a multitude of mercies. I love that. It goes with all the other scriptures in the Bible about his mercy. His mercy endures forever, it says. Um, and, he, and he doth not afflict willingly. It's not the Lord wanting to do it, but it grieves him as, as he's, uh, you know, uh, punishing the Jews and also us. But why does he punish us? Why does he chasten us? Hebrews tells us, the book of Hebrews, that uh, there in chapter 10, it says that the, whom the Lord loveth, he what? Chasteneth, which is a fancy word for spanking. He gives us a spanking because he loves us. And, and the people that he doesn't discipline or punish, um, the Lord says, they're, they're not sons at all. Um, so if you're a son of God or a daughter of God, the Lord's chastening as part of the deal. But he does it because he loves us and good news, it's not gonna last forever. And boy, I bet Jeremiah and the Jews right about now are thinking this is lasting forever because this has been a long and slow, uh, torturous season. Um, really for many, many years, decades, the Jews have been under siege of the Babylonians and, and suffering. Uh, uh, but it took, it took this long for them to finally Well, they never really did repent. We'll see that in a minute. Verse uh, 34, Um, it says, to crush under his feet all the prisoners of the earth, to turn aside the right uh, of a man before the face of the Most High, to subvert a man in his cause, the Lord approveth not. Um, So, you know, the Lord doesn't willingly uh, uh, grieve the children. He doesn't wanna, he doesn't enjoy it but he's doing it to basically in verses 34, 35, and 36, that you know God is not gonna condone, um, this is kind of another hard thing to discern. It's, he's not gonna condone affliction uh, due to injustice. The Lord will cause affliction as a just punishment, but for unjust affliction that's due to injustice, the Lord, he's not gonna allow that to happen. Um, that's the Lord we serve. And by the way, that's good news because Right now in the world, do you see a lot of injustice? There's a lot of things that just plain old aren't fair, but you know, the Lord sees all that and we can put our trust in the Lord to take care of those things. You know, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. So if there's, if you're, if, if there's a person who's doing unjust things in the world today, the Lord's gonna take care of that. The, uh, we don't even have to, you know, worry about the vengeance part. Uh, we, we just trust that the Lord's got that. And that's kind of what he's saying here. Well, verse 37, who is he that saith, and it cometh to pass when the Lord commandeth it not? 
Out of the mouth of the most high proceedeth not evil and good. Wherefore doth a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. This is basically people saying what they think, even though it's not what the Lord says. Do you ever get a sense people talk big and they say stuff that they think they know? But you get a sense that they kind of don't have a clue. You don't know what you're talking about. Um, and and Jeremiah is kind of saying that, you know, he says, you know, uh, who is it that saith this will come to pass um, when the Lord doesn't command it to happen? Um, I hear that all the time. Um, I think we should be more humble, perhaps, uh, myself included. And, and when we say this is what's going on or this is what's going to happen or we're going to go do this or we're going to do that. Remember in James where it says, don't say tomorrow we're going to go do such and such a thing because you don't really know. So you need to use this kind of language, you know, um, if the Lord will, then I'll go do such and such thing tomorrow. And not to be so presumptuous that stuff's just gonna happen because we said it's gonna happen. We're not God. When God says something's gonna happen, it's gonna happen. When you say something is gonna happen, well, there's a percentage somewhere that's uh, accurate and inaccurate. It depends on who you are. Have you ever noticed some people's percentages are worse than others? Uh, as far as saying things that are true or false. Uh, man, just because you say it with confidence doesn't mean it's necessarily true. So what are we supposed to do in light of that? Search our hearts. That's what it says in verse 40. Try our ways. Let the Lord search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. I'm reminded of what, you know, the psalmist David there in Psalm 139, uh, verses 23 and 24, he said this, search me, O God, and know my heart Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Um, good prayer from the psalmist David who was asking the Lord to search him. Uh, to, to Lord, try my attitudes and my actions and see if there's wickedness in me. Let me know if I'm off course or you know, out of your will. That's, that's what David is asking of the Lord. And that's really what Jeremiah here is reminding us to do. Let us search and try our ways and turn to the Lord. Well, that's the second section of chapter three. The first section, Jeremiah's affliction. Second section of the chapter is Jeremiah's reflection. But now, thirdly and lastly in this section, we have Jeremiah's supplication. He's gonna kind of make a prayer uh, uh, sort of uh, to the Lord, but it, it, um, it's gonna be uh, interesting because it's also instructive. We'll learn from his supplication. So he says in verse 41, let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. We have transgressed and have rebelled. Thou hast not pardoned. Thou hast covered with anger and persecuted us. Thou hast slain, thou hast not pitied. Thou hast covered thyself with a cloud and our prayers should not pass through. Thou hast made us as the offscouring of the, uh, and the refuse or garbage in the midst of the people. All our enemies have opened their mouths against us. Fear and a snare has come upon us, desolation and destruction. Question, if the Lord's mercies endure forever, and if he is the forgiver of sins, and as the things that we've taught here at Athey, that the Lord is quick to forgive sin, if that's true, then why does it say in verse 42, Jeremiah says, we have transgressed and have rebelled, thou hast not pardoned. Is Jeremiah wrong here or, or is he correct in saying this? Anybody? Correct or incorrect? There's some, there's some debate. I love it. It's an interesting thing that he's saying, but here's, here's the thing. Um, he's saying it pretty emphatically, saying, you know, we have transgressed and rebelled, thou hast not pardoned. So who has he not pardoned? Well, the answer is that if the Lord's mercies endure forever, then he must pardon, right? Except for one thing. Were the, were the Jews that were not pardoned, and let's just say the ones that got slain on the mountains of Jerusalem, for example, which was most of them, <clears throat> did the Lord pardon their sins? The answer it seems to be no. But there's an easy answer to why that's true. They never repented. They just kept going in their sins and they never repented before the Lord. See, the Lord would that none should perish. That's what you know. Second Peter tells us. He wants everybody to be saved but he's a perfect gentleman. He doesn't force his mercy and pardoning and forgiveness on people. So a large portion of these Jews, they never had their sins forgiven. Um, and that, that means they died in their sins. Um, there's no 
uh, worst thing I think that can happen to a person to die and still be in their sins because the wages of sin then would be death. But see, to the people that have repented and uh, turned to the Lord. Now, here's the, the group that we're not talking about here. Jeremiah himself, we know Jeremiah was one who even is confessing his sins. We'll see that even in a second. We have sinned, Jeremiah said. That shows repentance. So Jeremiah, of course, any sins that he had done would be forgiven. But there even's a group of Jews that lived through this. And I wonder if many of them, remember when Jeremiah was prophesying way back in the book of Jeremiah, and he was saying, Break off your sins and submit to Babylon. Go out with your hands up and, and say, we are your prisoners. Remember this? Um, those are the people that lived. So those are the few, that tiny remnant of people that went to Babylon and you, know, you might argue Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and others. They ended up going into Babylon into captivity. But I believe many of them, if not all of them, because they did what Jeremiah told them to do, they didn't get slain on the mountains of Jerusalem uh, but they were taken into captivity and the Lord pardoned their sins. I believe those people very likely had their sins pardoned. Maybe there was a repentance in them. Um, so there is a group that was pardoned, but remember Jeremiah is with this tiny group right now in Jerusalem while he's writing Lamentations that um, were just kind of left, a tiny remnant still. But when he says this, I believe he's referring to all those that failed to repent. They failed to you know, turn to the Lord and accept his way. Thus, I think he's accurate when he says, you know, thou hast not pardoned. And what else happened to those people? Thou covered with anger and persecuted us. Thou hast slain and not pitied. Thou hast covered thyself with a cloud that our prayers should not pass through. Um, interesting, one of the things that the Bible teaches is there, that, that sin makes it so your, prayer, your prayers fail to fly. Your, your prayers will not reach the ears of God when you're living in sin. What, what, where do we read that? Well, Isaiah 59 verse one says, you know, the Lord's you know, hand is not short that he cannot touch you. His ear is not deaf that he cannot hear you, but it's your sin that separates you from God. Um, there's all kinds of things, by the way, that the Bible teaches us about what makes your sin, your, your prayers not reach heaven. Uh, one is unconfessed sin. That's the top of the list. Um, there's other ones like, um, I've done whole sermons on this, by the way. Uh, you know, what makes your, sin, your, your prayers fail to fly? You know, asking amiss, James uh, tells us that in chapter four, verses one through four. Uh, mistreating your wife, husbands. Uh, remember, you know, it tells us there in First um, Peter chapter three, verse seven, it says that if you uh, dwell with your wife according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife uh, uh, as she's the weaker vessel, not inferior, just different vessel, root beer mug, wine glass, two different vessels. One's weaker than the other, but one's better than the other. Um, that's the idea. And so we're to deal with our wives in a way where we're giving honor to her. If you don't do that, the Bible says your prayers will be hindered. Guys, do you wanna have your prayers reach heaven? Make sure and be loving to your wife. <clears throat> There's also um, unforgiveness. We talked about that on Sunday. If you're unforgiving of others, then the Lord will not forgive you and thus, your sin is still held accountable and thus your prayers fail to fly. And, um, and then also not listening to the word of God. If, uh, Proverbs you know, 28 verse nine talks about if you, you know, read the word but fail to take heed to the word, then your prayers will not be heard by the Lord. So there, those are just five things that, that make your prayers not reach heaven. Here in Lamentations, Jeremiah acknowledged that. He says the Jews that were unrepentant and just kept going in their sins and never repented. Um, the Lord has uh, you know, covered himself with a cloud that the prayer shouldn't make it through that cloud. Um, that's a bad situation if your prayers are not be, being heard by the Lord. Now, some of you might be saying, great. No wonder my prayers aren't heard because I'm a sinner. But isn't that why Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's prayer right up toward the beginning? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Um, because that's the first thing we gotta kinda say. When, when, we're, when we're praying to the Lord, it's always good to start out, Lord, I'm a sinner, please forgive me of my sins. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And man, one sincere confession away. You don't have to go to a priest, um, you just go to the Lord. 
Jesus is the mediator between God and man. So you pray and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. And guess what? Your prayers are suddenly back and connected to the Lord. Um, sad though, the unrepentant sinner is still stuck with no prayers uh, because the Lord, Lord's ear doesn't hear that prayer. And that's what Jeremiah says here. And um, so all this stuff is what happened. The enemies opening their mouths, fear and a snare, desolation, all because of unrepentance. That's what Jeremiah is saying. But he goes on in verse 48. Oh, wait, let me just say one thing more here. Verse 41, before we move on. Did you notice it said, let us lift our heart up with our hands unto God in the heavens. The heart, the Hebrew word lev, which is your soul in the, in the Old Testament Hebrew Bible. Uh, lifting up your heart with your hands. What does that mean? Well, the Bible says in quite a few places we're to lift up our hands to the Lord. And, uh, you know, if you're, uh, if you're raised in a Baptist church or one of the more uh, rigid churches, the idea of lifting your hands in the church, well, that's just a Pentecostal crazy thing. Uh, that's for those charismaniacs, you know. Uh, but it's not true, actually. Lifting your hands uh, is a biblical thing. Whether you like it or not, it's just right in the Bible. Um, and, well, Brett, it says you're lifting up your heart with your hands. That's just metaphorical. But uh, you can say that, but there's a bunch of other scriptures that talk about lifting your hands. Let me give you kind of some of my favorite. Uh, Psalm 63, uh, verses three and four says this. This is, you know, worship. It says in uh, Psalm 63, verses three and four, it says, because thy loving kindness is better than life, life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live and I will lift up my hands in thy name. Lifting up of hands is the way David worshiped the Lord. Um, and one of those things lifting hands does is you can lift your soul, your inner person, the part of you that thinks and feels. And it's kind of a, an outward sign that we get to do in worship, saying, Lord, I'm just lifting up my thoughts, my life, my sins, my everything to you. It's, a, it's a, an act of submission. You know, if you feel the cold barrel of a gun in the middle of your back, it's submission. You know, you lift your hands and stick them up, you know. Uh, but the Lord's not holding a gun to our back, but you and I, we say, Lord, we wanna surrender our lives to you. That's lifting up your hands. It's not, not just here, uh, Psalm uh, 63, but also Psalm 134, verse two. It says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. That's something we get to do. It's not a got to, it's a get to. Uh, it's so funny, some of you uh, still, you see people lifting their hands, like, what are those weirdos doing here? Those AC Creekers, little hand lifters. Um, I remember as a junior high, or hopefully you're not at my level when I was in junior high, but I remember watching people lift hands and, and I'd, I'd always kind of laugh, there'd be the, the uh, different styles of lifting hands. And I'd sit in the back and kind of observe, there's the old lady, she's the swayer, you know. She's lifting her hands and swaying. And, and then, you know, who was it? Tim Hawkins did the whole uh, dissertation on the lifting hands. You got the, you know, hold the baby, uh, you know, if you're lifting your hands like this or carry the TV set, you know, or uh, fly like a bird or touchdown, you know, like, what, like, what, like the, the way different people, you know, lift their hands to the Lord, you know. There's the washing, wax on, wax off, you know, whatever. There's different styles that people have of lifting hands. Uh, one person came to me, this is great. One person came to me and said, Brett, I noticed at Athey Creek, there's a lot of people that only lift one hand. <laughs> and the Bible says, lift up your hands. What's the deal with those Athey Creekers? And I don't know what got into me. I said, well, this church, we actually carry Bibles too. So um... <laughs> that's what I said. Because I thought it was kind of a funny little thing. But, um, but yeah, you know, uh, sometimes I shouldn't say things. But anyway, uh, so, you know, Psalm 130, uh, 34, verse two, you know, lift up your hands in the sanctuary. Also Psalm 141, verse two, uh, it says, um, my prayer will be set forth before thee as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Did you know there's a link to prayer and lifting your hands? We in the modern day church tend to lift our hands with song and that's cool too. And songs can be kind of like prayers. If we're praying or singing to the Lord, that's, that's all part of it. Um, but, you know, uh, the idea of lifting hands, what is it? Uh, you know, in 1 Timothy, I love where, you know, Paul exhorted young Timothy when he said this. He said, 1 Timothy 2.8, he said, I would therefore that men pray. Notice he didn't say women, because I think women have a natural proclivity to be prayer people, and men are not as much. So he said, I would that men pray. 
And then he says, lifting up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. Um, there's a, often a link to praying with your hands lifted. Remember Moses there at Rephidim when he was looking over the battle and he lifted up his hands and the battle was being won as he interceded on behalf of Joshua. Uh, but when he let his hands down, the victory was being lost. There's a link to prayer and lifting up your hands. Don't, don't neglect that in your own personal prayer closet. The idea of lifting up your hands can be uh, something that's really, really helpful. But um, the idea of lifting up your, your heart to the Lord, this is where Jeremiah kind of gives us something new. That when you're lifting up your hands, you're worshiping the Lord, you're exalting the Lord, you're submitting to the Lord, but you're also lifting your soul um, up to the Lord and when you lift your hands to the Lord. Well, that's just kind of a quick rundown. Um, don't be afraid to lift your hands uh, and, and forget what people think about it. Uh, Brenna, what will my wife think if I'm lifting my hands? She knew that I was grouchy this afternoon and now I'm Wednesday night lifting my hands. She'll think, what a hypocrite. Um, well, that's your wife just needing to repent of her own sins. Don't worry about her. Uh, you know, we're all sinners, but your wife should be really happy if you're lifting your hands, Lord, because you know what? Sinners need to do that. Uh, if you're a sinner, you should be the first one to lift your hands. Uh, it's not like you're saying, I am holy, so I'm lifting my hands. No, you're saying, I'm a wretched sinner, so I'm lifting my hands. Uh, your wife should say, amen. Uh, to that, you know, uh, if she sees that. But uh, that's always a pitfall when we worry about what other people think. Uh, what is my Baptist grandmother gonna think if, if we're lifting hands in the church, you know? Uh, the Bible says it, so we should do it. Uh, it's kind of that simple. Uh, it's, it's a great way to worship and express our heart to the Lord. Well, uh, verse 48 goes on in this Jeremiah's supplication. He says in verse 48, mine eye runneth down with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. Mine eye trickleth down and ceaseth not without any intermission till the Lord looked down and behold from heaven, mine eye affecteth mine heart because of all the daughters of my city. Mine enemies chased me sore like a bird without cause. You know, again, we see Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Um, you know, Acts ch chapter 20, verse 19, Paul said, I have shed many tears for you. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. The idea of compassion. You know, it was G. Campbell Morgan who was actually approached by somebody who said, man, did you hear D.L. Moody teaching about hell with, a, you know, with such you know, kind of force? And they were being critical of D.L. Moody. And G. Campbell Morgan, you know, they thought he'd say, yeah, you know, that's kind of, kind of, dark, you know, or he shouldn't be talking about hell like that. But G. Campbell Morgan answered this uh, critique of, uh, of D.L. Moody uh, and said, you know, D.L. Moody earned the right to speak like that on hell because he said it with many tears. <laughs> it's like he earned that because he said it out of compassion. Um, and, and, you know, it's funny. I think that as long as we're, you know, speaking with compassion, real compassion, like Jesus or like Jeremiah, then, then we can speak the truth. Um, but God for, you know, forbid us to speak our, the truth with a meanness or a lack of compassion because man, people don't receive that very well if it's coming from, I know more than you do. So here's the truth, listen up. That's the problem with social media is I see people clicking away, typing the truth, but it comes off like you're screaming at us. And nobody wants to hear that. And they think it sounds coarse. And you know, it's the old saying, what do they say? You know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And there's a lot of people spouting knowledge of things that are even true, but the way it comes off is pretty harsh. Um, we need to have that compassionate heart like Jeremiah. And that's what makes it palatable. Uh, it's almost like the tears are the anesthetic that makes the truth palpable or you can receive it. Well, Jeremiah then starts talking about his own struggles. He said in verse 53, they have cut off my life in the dungeon and cast a stone upon me. Remember we read about that um, in the book of Jeremiah. They threw him in a dungeon, lowered him with a rope and he sunk in mud neck deep. So he's sitting in a dungeon neck deep with a little hole and they put a rock over the hole and left him there to rot. Like that's a bad day at the office. Poor Jeremiah. So, so he goes back to that. He says, man, I... I think they cut my life off in the dungeon and cast a stone on me. Verse 54, waters flowed over mine head. Then I said, I am cut off or I'm gonna die here. 
I called upon thy name, O Lord, out of the low dungeon. Thou hast heard my voice. Hide not thine ear at my, uh, my breathing and my cry. Don't you wonder if Jeremiah is sitting in that dungeon, you know, with the rock, and then it's dead silent. And suddenly he can hear himself breathing. And he says, oh Lord, can you hear my breathing? I can hear my breathing. Like we don't think about our breathing until that's the only thing that's there. And that's, you can almost picture this. Like Jeremiah is painting a colorful picture of how brutal it was for him. Verse 57, thou drewest near in the day that I called upon thee. Thou saidst, fear not. Don't you love that? Jeremiah is telling us that when he was at his darkest point, the Lord said, don't be afraid, Jeremiah. Verse 58, O Lord, thou hast pleaded the causes of my soul. Thou hast redeemed my life. O Lord, thou hast seen my wrong. Judge thou my cause. Thou hast seen all their vengeance and all their imaginations against me. Thou hast heard their reproach, O Lord, and all their imaginations against me. The lips of those that rose up against me and their device against me all the day. Behold, they're sitting down and they're rising up. I am their music. <laughs> What's he saying? I'm their joke. Like they're singing a little ditty about Jeremiah, the failed prophet. Um, but Jeremiah was the only one right. Remember, these are the prophets probably referring to here that were speaking lies. Remember, there were hundreds of them saying, oh, everything's gonna be great. And Jeremiah was the lone prophet speaking the truth. And that's who he's referring to here, these people that, you know, their lips rose up against him. Um, their devices were against him. And they were singing songs about him derogatorily is the idea. Verse 64, render unto them recompense, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. Give them sorrow of heart, thy curse unto them. Persecute and destroy them in anger from under the heavens of the Lord. Why is Jeremiah speaking um, curses upon people? Is that okay? Well, the answer I think is yes, because the Lord spoke this. The Lord said, I'm, I'm gonna curse these prophets um, so Jeremiah is just saying, Lord, do what you already said you're gonna do. Like he's affirming God's plan and purpose. Um, and I think it's okay because of that. We do have to be careful about that though, uh, because we have to make sure that the, what's the Lord's plan? Can you curse your boss, Lord? Please make my boss to die a brutal and bloody death. <laughs> like, are you okay in praying that? No, because that's not the Lord's will. Jeremiah did know what the will of the Lord was because the Lord made it clear. These prophets who were speaking lies to the people and causing them to stumble into total destruction, the Lord says, they're gonna feel my wrath and they're going down. And so Jeremiah is affirming what the Lord already um, spoke. And you can do that. You can reaffirm what the Lord says, this is what's gonna happen. But be careful on this idea of cursing people. That's when it starts to become, you know, witches making curses on people. Christians don't do that, right? You guys look confused. Are we, are we good on that one? Okay, good, good. So chapter four uh, gets us to uh, now uh, the Lord's wrath. Chapter four is about the Lord's wrath. Um, you know, 22 verses in the alphabet acrostic. Here we go. Aleph is verse one. Um, how has the gold become dim? How has the most fine gold changed? The stones of the sanctuary are poured out in the top of every street. The precious stones, uh, pardon me, sons of Zion, comparable to fine gold, how are they esteemed as earthen pitchers, the work of the hands of the potter? So basically from gold to broken pieces of pottery is kind of what he's saying. It used to be, you know, glorious Jerusalem, um, but it's gotten to be nothing now. Verse three, even the sea monsters draw out of the, be the, the breast. Uh, what's a sea monster? Uh, Sigmund, for you guys that grew up in the 80s. Anybody remember Sigmund uh, or Loch Ness? What's the deal with a sea monster thing? Well, um, it's actually um, talking about like sea calves, you know, like the, um, you know, these um, sort of giant, you know, seals or walruses or whatever. What's the ones over here in the line? I can't think of the sea lions. Yeah, that's kind of what's being talked about here. And, and it's saying that even the sea lion, you know, still breastfeed, if you would, the calf. Um, you know, that's the idea. They give suck to their young ones, but verse three, the daughters of Zion or the people have become cruel like the ostriches in the wilderness. Now, the reason this ostrich in the wilderness thing is a thing is because some um, ostriches are known to eat their own eggs. Uh, that's the idea here, that they would destroy their own young. And that's what will happen 
And we've already read about that and saw that prophesied about the women of Jerusalem during this time. Um, Verse four, the tongue of the sucking child cleaves to the roof of his mouth for thirst. The young children ask bread and no man breaketh it unto them. They that did feed delicately are desolate in the streets. They that were brought up in scarlet embraced dunghills. For the punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom that was overthrown as in a moment and no hands stayed upon her. Why would Sodom and Gomorrah be less of a problem than for the Jews? Well, Sodom happened in just 10 seconds. You know, fire and brimstone smashed the city and it was over. Uh, Almost in a way of mercy, the Lord destroyed Sodom instantly. But the Jews, it was a slow and brutal suffering and starvation, famine. And like the prophecies that were given, they would even, you know, eat their young. Uh, Horrible cannibalism. It it did happen. Verse seven, her Nazarites were purer than snow. They were whiter than milk. They were more ruddy in body than rubies. Their, you know, polishing was of sapphire. Who were the Nazarites? Those were the people who had a vow, like Samson, but it was a vow of separation, you know, to be holy and set apart for God. Now what do they look like? Well, verse eight, their visage is a blacklier than a coal. They are not known in the streets. Their skin cleaves to their bones. It is withered. It has become like a stick. They that be slain with the sword are better than they that were slain with hunger. For they pine away, stricken through for want of the fruits of the field. Man, this is just starvation. Remember the besieging of Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar surrounded Jerusalem and the people starved to death. It was just a horrible way to die. Uh, Better to die by the edge of the sword than to end up in starvation here. Verse 10, the hands of the pitiful women have sodden their own children. They have their meat in the destruction of the daughter of my people. Um, By the way, this, if you remember, was predicted in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 28, uh, uh, 28, uh, verses 56 through 57. If you recall, um, this is the Lord centuries earlier saying, if you rebel against me, And if you worship other idols and do these horrible sinful things, then the Lord says, hundreds of years earlier, he predicted this in Deuteronomy 28, 56, I'll read it to you. He said, the tender and delicate women among you, which would not adventure to set sole of her foot upon the ground for her delicateness and tenderness, her eyes shall be evil toward her husband um, of her bosom and toward her son and toward her daughter and toward her young one that comes from between her feet um, and toward her children, she shall bear she shall eat them for one of things secretly in the siege of straightness wherewith thine enemy distress thee in thy gates. The Lord said, this is what's gonna happen if you guys do this. Like the Lord tried to say, this is the most horrible thing you can imagine. And if you guys worship idols and go after other deities and gods, this is where you'll end up. And the reason I point that out is I wanna remind you that Deuteronomy 28, there's all these verses in this chapter that are shown to be totally true uh, we'll, we'll maybe do that even more in, in the last chapter here if we have time uh, tonight because there's so many parallels. Uh, Deuteronomy 28's warnings centuries earlier with the outcomes that actually happened. So, um, so the Lord says uh, this through Jeremiah, this is what happened. It, it actually happened to you guys the way, the way it was said. Verse 11, the Lord hath accomplished his fury. He hath poured out his fierce anger and hath kindled a fire in Zion. And it, um, it hath devoured the foundations thereof. The kings of the earth and all the inhabitants of the world would not have believed that the adversary and the enemy should have entered into the gates of Jerusalem. Um, you know, Psalm 20, verse seven talks about how some put their trust in chariots and horses, but we will put our trust in the Lord. Well, the Jews in Jeremiah's time were putting their trust in their walled city. People said nobody could you know, penetrate the, the walls, the glorious walls of Jerusalem but the Babylonians did and uh, nobody even expected it. That's what's said there in verse 12. Verse 13, for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests that have shed the blood of the just in the midst of her, they have wandered as blind men in the streets. They have polluted themselves with blood so that men could not touch their garments. They cried unto them, depart ye, it is unclean. Depart, depart, touch not. When they fled away and wandered, they said among the heathen, they shall no more sojourn there. The anger of the Lord hath divided them. He will no more regard them. They respected not 
the, or the respected not the persons of the, of the priests. Um, they favored not the elders. So when the Jews went to the foreign lands, nobody cared that they were priests or elders. They lost all reputation. So like even when, you know, they went to Egypt, this like verse uh, 15, where it says, you know, uh, they shall no more sojourn there. The, basically all the other nations said, get out of our face. We don't wanna see you Jews with your priests and your prophets and all this stuff. Um, they had respect when they were in Jerusalem, but the Jews, even to this day, sadly, in much of the world are hated. Now that's a fulfilling of prophecy as well. God still loves the Jews and still has a plan for them, but largely there's a reason why the world hates them and it's all kind of explained a little bit right here. Uh, it's really sad. Verse 17, as for us, our eyes are yet failed, our vain help in the watching. We have watched for a nation that could not save us. Um, you know, the world will not be there in their times of trouble is the idea. They hunt our steps, verse 18, that we cannot go in our streets. Our end is near, our days are fulfilled, for our end is come. Our persecutors are swifter than the eagles of the heaven. Uh, they pursued us upon mountains. They laid wait for us in the wilderness. The breath of our nostrils, the anointed of the Lord, was taken in their pits, of whom we said, under his shadow we shall live among the heathen. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, that dwell in the land of Uz, the cup also shall pass through unto thee, and thou shalt be drunken and shalt make thyself naked. The punishment of thine iniquity is accomplished, O daughter of Zion. He will no more carry thee away into captivity. He will visit thine iniquity, O daughter of Edom. He will discover thy sins. So, you know, again, a reminder um, for the Edomites not to rejoice in Israel's troubles uh, because the Lord says, I'm coming for you too, Edom, if you're rejoicing about the trouble the Jews have, have received. Um, and he says, you know, Edom, your sins will be discovered, which that's exactly what the Lord says. You know, if you confess your sins, the Lord will cover your sins. Um, but if you continue in sin, the Lord will discover your sins. That's the idea, reveal them. That's what's being kind of said here. Now, chapter five, like I said earlier, is not an acrostic. And the question is why? Let's read this chapter and finish up 22 verses um, this, this chapter kind of um, is a little different than the other chapters and maybe we'll see, but we'll, we'll call it the, the prayer of the remnant, the prayer of the remnant, those that were left alive, which is very few in number of Jews after this whole Jeremiah event with the Babylonians, uh, the prayer of the, of the remnant. Verse one, remember, O Lord, what has come upon us. Consider and behold our reproach. Would you mark the word remember? Um, because I think that's an important part of this whole thing. And we'll, we'll, we'll go back to that in a bit. Remember, um, verse two, our inheritance is turned to strangers, our houses to aliens. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna show you uh, some of these verses that correlate to uh, Deuteronomy. I already told you Deuteronomy 28. And we've looked at this in previous chapters as well. Uh, last week, do you remember we looked in chapter two there were certain verses that just kind of exactly what Deuteronomy says. I wanna show you that as well. Verse two, our inheritance is turned to strangers, our houses to aliens. Um, and Deuter jot this down in your notes, Deuteronomy 28, um, verse 30. Uh, it says this, I'll just read it to you. Deuteronomy 28, 30. It says, thou shalt betroth the wife and another man shall lie with her and thou shalt build a house and thou shalt not dwell therein. You'll plant a vineyard, but you'll not gather grapes. The Lord says, because of your sin, you're gonna lose your house, your family, and, and other people are gonna live in your houses. Like that's, that's one of the results. And that's exactly what this verse is telling us. Um, verse verse um, three, we are orphans and fatherless. Our mothers are as widows. We have drunken our water for money. Our, word, uh, our wood is sold unto us. Um, um, that's like Aquafina, uh, or you have to buy water. Did you know that water is more expensive than a gallon of gas when you buy it, like Aquafina or Dasani? Um, just, just kind of funny. Um, water is expensive. But Deuteronomy twenty-eight sixty-five matches verse five. Verse five says, "Our necks are under persecution; we labor and have no rest." What's Deuteronomy twenty-eight sixty-five? Well, it says this: "Among these nations, you'll find no ease; neither shall the sole of your foot have rest." but the Lord will give thee a trembling heart 
failing of eyes and a sorrowful mind. This is what the Lord predicted. And now Jeremiah is saying, this is what has happened. Verse six, we have given the hand to the Egyptians, to the Assyrians to be satisfied with bread. Our fathers have sinned and are not, or they're dead. And we have borne their iniquities. Servants have ruled over us. There is none that doth deliver us out of their hand. We got our bread and the peril of our lives because of the sword of the wilderness. Our skin was black like an oven because of the terrible famine. Um, uh, verse 11, by the way, that, that, that also is uh, Deuteronomy. Um, you can mark verse 10, Deuteronomy 28, 48, where it says this. In Deuteronomy 28, 48, it says, therefore thou shalt serve your enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and thirst and in nakedness. And one of all things, he shall put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed thee. Um, why was their skin blackened? It's because they were slaves out in the sun working for everybody else. Um, and that's what happened here, just like the Bible predicted of them. Verse 11, um, they, they ravished the women in Zion and the maids in the city of Judah, just like Deuteronomy 28, 30. Verse 12, princes are hanged up by their hand. Faces of elders were not honored. In Deuteronomy 28, 50, mark that with verse 12, 28, 50. What does it say there? It says, a nation of fierce countenance which shall not regard the person of old age nor show favor to the young. That's exactly what it says. What did they do? Now, this is something that's horrible and I haven't really explained this, but when it says there in our text here uh, this evening about uh, the young people being sort of hanged up by their hands and the faces of the elders not honored, the Babylonians took a bunch of the Jews and literally like hung them with their hands secured over the wall and hung their bodies hanging over the edge of the wall with their arms like tied up and, and hanging off the edge of the wall. And they, they let them die that way. Uh, by the hundreds, these Jews just hanging on the wall, um, young and old. And how did they die? Well, they, the historians tell us they died of uh, thirst mostly, uh, of sometimes just being burned by the sun, birds of the air plucking their skin off. Like it was a horrible way to die, just to be hung on a wall and left there until you just died. Um, and that's what the Babylonians did. That's what's being referred to here. And that's exactly what Deuteronomy 28 um, verse 50 says, young and old would be, there'd be no respect one way or the other. Verse 13, they took the young men to grind and the, and the children fell under the wood um, what's this all about? The men going to grind? Well, this is a funny thing because um, uh, it reminds me of a thing that I did in Africa that was kind of a, you know, social foopaw. <laughs> um, the, the idea of grinding, grinding the mill of, of flour is the idea there. Is that's the word here. Men were doing that. In Bible times, that was not the man's work. Uh, I know this is very, uh, you know, um, male chauvinistic or whatever, but this was ancient times. Uh, the women did the grinding or the slaves. That's, that's the truth. But now the Jews are finding themselves grinding as slaves for everybody else. When I went to Africa, uh, my first trip when I was a young guy, um, I was there out in the bush and I saw something that just seemed so Africa to me. You know, like you see these pictures of these, these, um, these uh, they're sort of like cut logs and they hollow the log out into a bowl and it just sits there. And the, the women were there pounding with these sticks, pounding the millet. They'd pour the millet in, crush it up into powder and make sort of a flour out of it. And I thought, this is so cool. Like I'm really in Africa now. I've seen this, these ladies. So I said, hey, can I try it? And, and they're like, they all chuckled and they handed me the stick and I started, you know, and all the men and everybody came laughing and they're like, um, and one of the guys came up and, he, um, and my translator said, that guy just said, men are never to do that work. It's, a, it's like, like, it would have been just the same thing if I would have started painting my nails pink out there in the, uh, <laughs> of course that doesn't mean anything here in the States anymore anyway. Um, <laughs> but you know what I mean, it was, it was the people were laughing because I was doing a, a woman's work, uh, even in Africa in modern times, like they still kind of think that way. Um, but this is what happened, you know, these men were made to grind uh, the mill is the idea there. Um, and the children fell under the wood. Um, the idea is they were also doing the work uh, of, of men. Verse 14, the elders have ceased from the gate, the young men from their music. The joy of our heart has ceased. Our dance has turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our hand. Woe unto us that we have sinned. 
There's a big, that's, a, that's, a, that's getting close to summary of the whole book of Lamentations right there. That verse 16, woe unto us, for we have sinned. For this our heart is faint, for these things our eyes are dim, because the mountain of Zion, which is desolate, the foxes walk upon it. Mark verse 18, and write down Deuteronomy 28, 26. Talks about how wild beasts would be roaming into Jerusalem. That's what the Lord predicted hundreds of years earlier. And that's exactly what happened. Foxes walking upon Jerusalem. Verse 19, O thou, O Lord, remainest forever. Thy throne from generation to generation. Wherefore dost thou forget us forever and forsake us so long time? Turn thou unto us, Unto, uh, turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. Renew our days as of old. But thou hast utterly rejected us, and thou art very wroth against us. Now, is this a weird way to end the book? It's like you're thinking, oh, he's getting ready to end nicely in verse 21. What a great way to end. Let's just end on verse 21. Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned to renew the days of old. The end. Let's just end it right there. Why verse 22? But thou hast utterly rejected us, thou art very wroth against us. Well, the King James doesn't put a question mark there, but how many of your newer translations have a question mark at the end of the last verse? Anybody? Yeah, some of you guys. Whatever translations you have that have the question mark, they actually get it right. Uh, most scholars, linguistic scholars agree that that was a question. And it's more like this, you know, uh, verse 21, Lord, turn us to thee. Renew our old days well, but thou hast utterly rejected us? Are you really that mad against us? And I think he's leaving it sort of as a rhetorical question. Like, are you, is it really to where we've just been totally forsaken? And I think that question mark is there because the question is, Lord, are you gonna remember us? Have you forsaken us? Now this goes back to the very beginning of chapter five, verse one. Remember, O Lord. Um, you know, it's interesting because there in the, in the scriptures, um, there's people that say, Lord, remember me. Uh, who else said, remember me in the Bible? Well, one of my favorite stories, by the way, and I'll tell you, let me close with reminding you of a story from Luke, the gospel of Luke chapter 23, verse 32. I'll just read it to you. Listen as I read. Luke 23:32. It says this, and there were also other malefactors or criminals led with Jesus to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, they crucified Jesus and the malefactors, one on the right side and one on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they departed as raiment and cast lots. And it came, uh, the people stood holding and the rulers also with them derided him saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he be the Christ, um, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him, offering him vinegar and saying, if thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in the letters of Greek, Latin, Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors, the criminals hanging next to him, um, which were hanged there, railed on him saying, if thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other criminal answering rebuked him saying, dost thou not fear God seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly for our, we receive the due reward for our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou come into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. You know why I love that? That's one of my favorite stories in all the Bible, the, the thief on the cross that said, remember me. Because, you know, this, this is those people that say, well, hopefully your good outweighs your bad and then maybe you'll make it to heaven. Well, as it turns out, we know this guy ends up in paradise with Jesus. Check, he made it. What did he do to get to heaven? Lots of good deeds? No, in fact, he dies a criminal hanging on the cross, even admitting, yeah, I deserve this. And, and, and yet the only thing he said was, Lord, remember me. That's all, he, that's all he said. That's all he needed. He had faith and said, this is the one, Jesus. Remember me. And Jesus said, okay, 
you're good. If the thief on the cross can be saved, I wonder, can you be saved as well? The answer is yes. You know, you and I sin and we make mistakes, but man, great is his grace and great is mercy. And so this question that Jeremiah wraps up in Lamentations is, Lord, are you gonna be able to remember us? That's the first part of this verse. And I think the reason maybe this one's not written in the acrostic is it's sort of almost like it's left undone. It's like there's still a question mark here about what are you gonna do? What, what, the, the book of Lamentations, it's almost like, Lord, what does this mean for me? And there's, as we close tonight, there's just two things that I wanna say that I think we wrap up Lamentations and we glean. First of all, two points. Number one, you always get nailed by sin. Read Jeremiah, read Lamentations. They thought they were gonna get away with it. They thought they were exception to the rule, but you always get nailed by sin. That's the truth. But then truth number two, there's compassion and mercy to the repentant from, for sin. Whoever's repentant, whoever says, Lord, forgive me, and I will follow after you and believe in you, you know, remember me, Lord, and the Lord says, okay. The question mark at the end of this is answered in the rest of the Bible. The question mark at the end of Lamentations is answered. The Jews would see, ultimately, the Messiah come and reject him, but I love <clears throat> Romans chapter 11, verse 25 says, eventually all of Israel will be saved. The Jews are gonna be remembered by the Lord. The Lord doesn't forget those who are repentant. And so the question mark will be answered in the rest of the Bible. And we'll, we'll be getting to that as we start uh, getting into the book of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel. Man, you get in for a ride there. Ezekiel, man, wheels within wheels and angels flying all over the place and crazy stuff. Ezekiel was a mystic and uh, it's gonna be quite a ride. So we'll, we'll uh, pick up that uh, next time. Uh, let's pray together. Lord, how thankful we are that <clears throat> the simplicity of salvation, that you are able to remember us, um, even though we don't deserve it. Lord, that you don't leave us hanging. You just, you, you take care of our troubles and you paid our iniquity and dealt with our debt. Lord, for this heavy book of Lamentations, I pray that it would remind us that sin stinks and that sin always is something that, that gets you. you. You always get nailed by sin. Be sure of this, your sin will find you out. Your word tells us that, Lord. And, and yet somehow we think we're the ones, the exception. That's what the Jews thought in those days. I pray that we would see the, the, the dastardly nature of sin and how it messes us up and hurts us. I pray that we would hunger and thirst after righteousness for you tell us in your word you, that you will fill us up if we hunger and thirst after righteousness. Help us to break off sinful attitudes and actions and thoughts and hunger after righteousness, Lord. I pray that we'd not live lives of sin, but we'd change and be repentant and follow your word. But when we do fail and when we do make mistakes, how thankful we are that you're compassionate and your mercies are new every morning and your faithfulness is great. Lord, we bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.